G'day everyone, this is Greg Ryan and welcome to episode 49 of Rare and Resilient 1 in 5000 podcast where we're talking IARM. and today I'm pleased to advise that we are joined by Monica from New Jersey who is a mother of four and her youngest son Jordan who is 18 months old was born with IA and some other associated issues. Welcome to the podcast Monica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on here. Can you just give us a bit of a, a rundown on um, why you want to share your story about your journey with Jordan? I want to share my journey with Jordan because I think that mother instincts are so strong and to always follow your gut and be an advocate. Yours is a pretty unique story because you've had real challenges with Jordan. Do you want to just sort of like start at the beginning and then we'll work our way through how things have gone over the last 18 months? Sure. So when I was pregnant on the very first ultrasound, the ultrasound tech saw something on you know, on the screen. And all I saw was a big black kind of circle that looked like a cyst tumor type thing. And she was staring at it. So I had to go into the um, high risk OBGYN's office. And they seemed like they had textbooks out, like they seemed really confused. So they thought it was a duplication cyst on his intestines. And they just said that I would have to go every couple of weeks to get it monitored. And actually, I recorded it because it was during COVID and I was there by myself. And it's hard to like relay all, you know, it's a yep. lot of information. Going back and listening to the recordings is crazy because I asked them questions like, does this mean that he's going to have issues the rest of his life going to the bathroom? And they were like, no, nothing like that. In the one recording, she even said, oh, I'm just marking this down that that there's an opening. Oh, really? So as, yeah. Yeah. It's really weird to go back and listen to these recordings because it's like it, it's really it's freaky. As I went into my third trimester, they wanted me to meet with the surgery team where I was delivering. And at the last second, they said, oh, this got way smaller. You don't have to meet with the surgery team anymore. But I instinctively had the worst anxiety still. Like I felt something wasn't right. So he was born. When he came out, he was he didn't sound right to me. The nurse was like, oh, no, he's just he's just adjusting to being out. And I'm like, no, this is my fourth baby. Like something doesn't sound right. So they put him on the table. The NICU nurses came up. He needed oxygen. The doctors came up and they took him. So both of his lungs collapsed I and mean, he was a big baby. He was almost nine pounds and he came down sideways and his, you know, both of his lungs collapsed. So, you know, an hour later, we had a bunch of doctors around our hospital bed saying that he has imperforate anus. And right away, I knew what it was. Um, and most people don't. Most people have never heard of it before. Yeah. So, and this um, is this is where it's a really interesting yeah. story. Yeah. So two years earlier, I was pregnant. My friend from high school was pregnant. I didn't know many friends that had older kids and was also pregnant with a big age gap. So we kind of reconnected. We hadn't talked in years. We reconnected when we were pregnant with my daughter. So because of COVID, she started telling me, like, I have health issues. And she's like, this is embarrassing. I, I, you know, I, not many people know, but I have a periphery anus. And I never heard of it then. So she explained to me what it was and her whole journey. So I think she was the first person I called from the hospital bed. Like, you're never going to believe this. My baby was born with IA and she she's never met anybody else with it ever. It's incredible, so, isn't it? 
Yeah. So she feels so connected to the baby because, you know, it wasn't by accident. Like it, this all happened for a reason. Me meeting her, like the whole thing. When you first told me that, I was just thinking how amazing that something like this could happen, that you yeah. actually were made aware of the condition beforehand because 99.99% of the parents who have a child with IA had never heard of the condition previously. Right. And, and they're like in shock. They never heard of it. They don't know what it is. And obviously I didn't do like deep research on it, but at least like I did know what it was. Um, so then of course, Jordan had colostomy surgery at two days old. He also had a distended testicle. And then, you know, they did all the tests for the vacular, you know, association. He has a spine defect. He's missing part of his tailbone and he has a curved sacrum, which I you know, learned that that's important because your sacrum and your nerves have, have everything to do with, you know, him being able to go to the bathroom or not. So we went home from the NICU. So now I'm telling my 11-year-old in 11-year-old terms, what's wrong with the baby? And I said, the baby has no butthole. And he started laughing and he said, you think I believe that? And I said, why? Why would you not believe me? He said he was born on April Fool's Day. And I started laughing because it's been, it was so traumatic up until that point with high emotions. I never even put that together. So I think that's just like a funny story. And how have the uh, uh, other kids handled Jordan's condition? So my daughter was one at the time. And she she thinks all babies have bags now. Like, that's what she thinks. Really? And, um, yeah, and the, and the NICU actually gave me a little doll with a with a stoma and a colostomy, so I gave that to her. But yeah, it's been hard because at, when Jordan was two months old, he got really sick with like a bad like cold, and he started having like brown discharge coming out of his diaper. So I had to take him to the hospital, and they admitted him for a UTI, and that's when we found out his mucus fistula closed. So we had a pretty good idea that Jordan had a high and that it was connected to his bladder based on, you know, based on that. So he had his mucus fistula reopened. We, we were fortunate to have really good surgeries at the hospital Jordan was born at. Like they had so much knowledge on it. So they actually directed me to a specialist. So they did the mucus fistula surgery. And then I knew that we were going to have his PSAR at a specialist. Right. So you made the contact to a dedicated colorectal center then, did you? Yes, yes. So that in itself, going through insurance and making the phone calls, and it was summer, I had four kids at home. It was just a really crazy, hectic time. So on my 40th birthday last September is when Jordan had his surgery. And he has a bladder neck fistula, which is the highest, most complex type that you can have. The doctor was shocked that he had a really good butt. He said that most of the time when, when babies have a high, they have like kind of no butt and it's really flat. And he said that that was a good sign. He also said you could see the line and you can see like where it would be. He said that's also a good sign, but that he was going to test his muscles and, you know, all that in surgery. And because it was a bladder neck fistula, he had to have it laparoscopically. It's the only connection that, you know, they go through your stomach as well as your butt. Yep. And how did that surgery go? That was uneventful. It was actually the easiest surgery that he had. And it was probably the one I was most scared about. So that surgery went fine. We were gone a total of 12 days. 
So with the bladder neck fistula, because they're working around the nerves with the bladder, they send the baby home with a catheter, which is standard. The doctor said in 12 days to take it out at night. If he doesn't pee in the morning to take him to the hospital. And the doctor said nine times out of 10, the baby will pee. Well, of course, Jordan was the 1% that didn't pee. Had to rush him to the emergency room. They gave him the Foley. So the plan was leave it in until his reversal surgery, because it was only like two months away. So then Jordan got COVID and they had to push back his surgery. So he ended up having this catheter for like months at this point when we got to his surgery for the takedown. Okay. And did you go back to the same hospital for takedown? Yes. So we went back to the hospital for the takedown so that everything went smooth. You know, they did the takedown. And for people who aren't aware, after the takedown, there's a process. The baby's not allowed to eat until the baby starts pooping on their own. Once the baby starts pooping on their own, you slowly start to feed the baby. So also with this takedown, he had a hernia, he had hernia surgery as well. With this takedown, they were going to put a supic pubic catheter in his stomach to do tests to see if he had neurogenic bladder. I think the urologist there was convinced that he did because he had a UTI before and because it was connected to his bladder. But his UTI was because the mucus fistula was closed. It wasn't like a random UTI. He also had another UTI because his catheter got kinked before. So I felt like they were two kind of explained um, UTIs. Also, our surgeon felt really confident when he did the pull through. He said he lassoed it like he was able to leave like a nub. You know, he didn't get too close to the bladder and felt really confident that there was going to be no issues. So the plan was to do the takedown. And then after three days, I think they wanted to start these capping trials. So what they do is they cap the ends of the supic pubic catheter to see if Jordan could urinate on his own. They said they go up to three hours. He didn't pee on his own. By like the second hour, he was like really starting to cry and his belly blew up and he was in pain and he started screaming. So they uncapped him and then they tried again. He didn't pee again. So we cut it, you know, we kind of cut it short because he was still recovering. He just had major surgery. So later that night, it was a Friday night. It was on a weekend. Later that night, Jordan started vomiting green, like bright green vomit. And he was in a ball screaming. And Jordan's pain tolerance is really high. Like he doesn't complain too often. So I knew something was wrong. But of course, it was a weekend and there was nobody around. So they sent in a resident and I said, like, there's something wrong. He's throwing up green. He's curled up in a ball. Like I want him to get x-rays. Like something has to happen. She said, no, his vitals are fine. He didn't have a fever. Like at his heart rate, everything was fine. So I asked to speak to someone else. A fellow came in, same thing. I, I was expressing that I was concerned. They kept trying to just kind of push me off. So all of a sudden, stool started coming out of his stomach because he had a, a vessel loop in his stomach where they took down the colostomy. Stool started pouring through. Our surgeon is amazing at emails. Like we email back and forth. So I emailed him a picture and instantly they rushed in and put a NG tube down his nose and started sucking out his stomach. So then I was told that he was going to get taken in for surgery. So the surgeon comes in and says, you know, we're going to go in and it could be something like a little pinhole 
or it could be something that we think that it needs time to repair. And if that's the case, then he'll end up with an ileostomy, which is, you know, a bag on the other side with your small intestines. So Jordan was back in surgery for only 20 minutes when we got a phone call that they were done and the surgeon would meet us in the waiting room to explain how it went. So the surgeon came out and said, great news. It was a little pinhole. We've repaired it. And and miraculously, it was pointed towards his incision and everything got out. And our surgeon puts a vessel loop in where the takedown is rather than closing his incision. And if our surgeon hadn't done that, we wouldn't have known. And he probably, he would have gotten septic and he would be in, he would be in really bad shape. So we go back up to our hospital room. Um, we have to start the process over again. We had to wait for him to go to the bathroom, started feeding him. We were there for another five days. They decided to discharge us. Jordan looked good. He was eating. He was going to the bathroom. Everything looked good. It was late. It was about six o'clock at night when they discharged us. We had to go back to our hotel room and pack everything. We drove home. We're about three hours away. So we didn't get home till about midnight. Jordan started crying like a half hour before we got home, like really started like screaming. And I just couldn't wait to get him out of the car seat and to bring him in the house. I was thinking he went to the bathroom, like something was going on. We get home. I bring him in the house. I lay, you know, I lay him on the ground to change him and there's stool pouring out of his stomach again. Oh my God. I thought that I was going to have a nervous breakdown. I, I thought I was going to die. At this point, I think we were, we were already at the hospital for 10 days. Email the doctor. They call us. They say, you have to bring them back in. We get back in the car. We just brought all the, you know, all our stuff in. We pack the car back up. And I can't tell you what that drive was like back to the hospital. It was, it didn't feel real. By the time we got back to the hospital, it was like four o'clock in the morning. We're back. We had to go through the um, emergency room. They put us in a room to wait. It was another weekend. We go into the post-op room and it's nobody's there because there's no scheduled surgeries. Yep. We, we've had no sleep. We were up all night. Um, I knew at that point that Jordan, it was going to be worst case scenario and he was going to need an ileostomy. And I knew that we weren't going home with no bag. It's just the realization of, you know, all of that. And I remember sitting in the waiting room, the nurses all loved him. Like we've gotten really close with all the nurses. So the new shift was coming in because it was like seven o'clock in the morning at that point. And they were like, you're back. Like they, they were, they couldn't believe it. They were all were like stopping and like seeing us. So he went in surgery and now he has an ileostomy bag. We have to go through the whole process again, waiting for him to go to the bathroom, waiting to feed him. We, we did all that again. Everything seemed to be fine. Jordan was finally having a bottle and he started throwing up yellow again, like bright green, yellow, like projectile vomiting. Again, they had to come in. They had to put an NG tube down his nose. They did x-rays. And now he they he, he has an alias, which is when your bowels just shut down. And Jordan just had, you know, two major surgeries back to back. So we had to stop feeding him. So we asked the doctors, like, what they were looking for. They were looking for how much was coming out of his bag and how much was in the sump. So at this point, it was in the very beginning, the sump was getting all the fluid and there was nothing coming out of his bag. So we waited for days. 
for it to reverse. It was, I think it was about like five more days of him having the NG tube down his nose. And at this point, they said, you know, we're going to have to put a pick line in. I think Jordan only got to eat at the hospital for maybe like four days total. We were there for like three weeks already. So Jordan got a pick you placed in his arm. And then all of a sudden, Jordan started getting more stool in his bag. And it was a really good sign. At this point, we had one of the attendings from our surgeon's team come in. And it was really confusing because it looked like things were good, like his numbers were turning around. But they wanted to see his stoma, like maybe if it was too tight. So I, so we started questioning, like, well, his numbers are better. There's more stool in his bag. Like, why, like, why would you think that it's tight? And we're like, we just want to make sure that, you know, Jordan's so complicated. And so they started like doing a, um, a flush and a stoma, but they irrigating it. They had to irrigate a stoma. They were, they were trying to measure the diameter of the stoma. So they were sticking his fingers down and they're like, they, they were like, we're not sure. Like you try. So like four different people are like sticking their fingers in his stoma. They're irrigating it. I trust our surgeon, like, you know, like with my heart, like I would pick our surgeon over and over and over again. I would pick this hospital over a million times over, but you know, these are attendings, these are fellows, they're learning. And my instinct was just that I didn't fully trust their judgment. And I know I, I didn't think our surgeon would be doing this. I think our surgeon would say, let's let him rest. Like his numbers are good, you know? So I started kind of, we started going back and forth. All of a sudden, they bring me papers in to sign for Jordan to have a an emergency surgery in case, you know, in case they felt like his stoma wasn't big enough. And I started arguing. I said, no, his numbers are good. We've been waiting for days for his numbers to turn around. And they turned around. Turns out our surgeon came in the next day and said, you're absolutely right. His numbers are good. You know, there's no need for surgery. And it was just a waiting game. It ended up being a prolonged alias, which just means it's, you know, longer than most aliases. We were there over Thanksgiving. I ended up driving home to see my one-year-old because I was a mess in the hospital, like missing Thanksgiving, missing everything. And I drove home and I listened to your podcast the whole way home. And it like really got me through that drive, like listening to other people's stories. And I thought to myself, like, I want to be on his podcast, like, I feel like Jordan has like an amazing story, you know, but that, that your podcast made me feel like less lonely because when we're going through something, we want to like, listen to something we're going through, you know, we can't think about anything else, even though we probably need a mental break. Like I, like I, I I can't, I can't turn it off like that. So I listened to your podcast all the way home. I listened to it all the way back. And Uh, did you find hearing from the parents and the doctors having the, both point of views did that make a difference to you it made such a difference listening to everybody's different stories and it's helped it's made me look for certain things that i wouldn't have normally looked for you know as much as our surgeons are great you know the little everyday details that they may know just from having so much experience like as parents we don't know and we're so overwhelmed by surgery by all of the diagnosis by everything that it, you know, it helps, uh, it helps a ton. 
It really does. It got me through those dark days. Oh, that's so wonderful. And I'm always talking about the emotional impacts of anyone dealing with IA from a child, adult, and the parents as well, because, you know, that's, I still believe that there's so much needs to be done to assist the parents go through it right from the start. And it sounds like you were, you were having issues from an emotional perspective, trying to deal with everything at the time. Yeah. And I think a lot, and I think something else that like people say with good intentions, but I've heard a lot, people would say like, oh, it could be worse, right? Like it could be cancer. It could be this. And there's something about that, that just like downplays your situation. And I, and again, people don't do it with the intention. They do it with the intention of you feeling better, but it doesn't make you feel better. Did you find listening to other parents validated how you were feeling? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And especially with the emotional part of it and the other family members, because I had a, I had a toddler at home and I, to this day, I'm still having issues with Jordan. I feel like I'm ignoring, I, I, I feel like I cannot give her the attention that she needs. And my older kids as well. There's nights where I can't pick them up from practice because Jordan won't stop going to the bathroom. But you have to, with four kids, you have to put your attention where it needs it the most, you know? Jordan has needed so much of my attention. And then after we finally got discharged, we were at the hospital for 31 days at that point, um, over a month. Oh, and at the end, at the end of the hospital visit, they wanted to do the capping trials again on him. And I was like, absolutely not. There's no way, (laughs) like we're not doing the capping trials. And I pushed to have, for me to do them at home. And we have a lot of nurses in our family. We have a NICU nurse. We have an ICU nurse. Oh, that must um, help. A CNA that does anesthesia. It helped a ton because they were familiar with colostomies and all all of that stuff. So I assured them that they could trust me doing these caffeine trials at home. And I knew that Jordan just needed time, you know, was on morphine. He just had surgery. He hadn't peed on his own in six months. Like he needed time. So I did the caffeine trials at home and they weren't looking good. His numbers weren't good. I capped them and nothing was really coming out of, out of his urethra and it was all coming out of his bladder. So on my own, I just thought he needs to be capped longer. Like he needed to be like forced kind of to remember how to be. And within a couple of days, like that completely turned around and he was peeing on his own and everything was fine. Like, thank right. God. And thank God I pushed for that and advocated for that because if that was just done in the hospital, like he may have been diagnosed with neurogenic bladder. Can you just explain what capping is for those who aren't aware? Me being sure. one. Sure. <laughs> so the soup, and for those that don't know, the subic pubic catheter goes through your stomach and directly into your bladder. So he had a catheter like sticking out of the stomach. It was terrifying. He had the bag, the catheter, there was a lot going on. So they give you caps to put on the end of the tube and it just holds all the urine inside the bladder. And so, it, you know, just blocking it from coming out. Right. So that would do would to hopefully force the urethra where it would normally come out to urinate, you know, on its own. Is that still a process or now he's urinating normally? Yep. Zero issues. And again, like they, they, the doctors, the urologist just sees two UTIs, but they don't 
see why did he have the UTIs. He had one because his mucus fistula was closed. He had the other one because of a kink catheter. Like he never, ever had a UTI out of nowhere. Our surgeon, who I, we, I can't say enough about how amazing I think he is, like knew, like he's going to be fine. Like he, he knew it. Like he, I have no, I, I have no doubt he'll pee on his own. And he was right. And he's been having somebody with that kind of expertise is everything because that's my other issue going locally, going to the hospital locally, going to the doctors locally. It's exhausting explaining everything over and over again. And it's wearing on the parents when, you know, sometimes they just need an x-ray going to the emergency room. They don't need all these other tests and questions. And just that whole process is exhausting. Now, has he had uh, any surgeries for his undescended testicle? He had that surgery during his pull through. He had the hernia surgery during his takedown. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's good. So you are a single parent now, Monica. How has that been balancing children all by yourself and being separated, etc.? I know it's uh, an emotive topic, but if you want to talk about it, by all means. Sure. Yeah. So um, having four kids, having a baby with medical issues is extremely, you know, extremely stressful. And unfortunately, I'm newly single as of only two months ago. Um, I was the main caretaker for Jordan. Um, I flushed his catheters. I did every bag change. So as far as like caring for smaller babies, it's not too much of a change. It's more difficult with the older kids. Like, they might want to go out at night and I can't leave because the babies are sleeping. And the most difficult part is financially because I spent six months in the hospital out of the past year. I'm constantly rushing Jordan to get x-rays. There's constantly some kind of issue. Just recently, Jordan had, uh, he had a, a small prolapse and he had, his hole was almost closed from scar tissue. So his last surgery was only two weeks ago, trying to find care for my other kids while I'm going to surgery. Like all of those things are extremely difficult. Financially is the most difficult of all of them. Like, I don't know how other parents do it, like that have babies with constant needs. Jordan has had nothing but issues. He's either stooling all day or he's not at all. And he's screaming in pain, not wanting to be put down. So that's been extremely uh, emotionally difficult on, on everybody in our family. Going to where we are now, after he's had, had his recent prolapse surgery, uh, when did the surgery to have the yellowostomy be removed? That was in February. And I had like post-traumatic stress syndrome during that surgery because of what happened last time. But it was amazing. He recovered amazingly. And now that's closed. So now Jordan is free of, you know, the ileostomy, the catheter. He's free of all of that. You mentioned that he's stooling quite often or not at all. What the what are the doctors saying his immediate future is looking like, you know, as you're still dealing with all these issues? They're unsure of his future. They said with babies, it's really hard to get the dosing right on his medicine. It's hard to know what the best regimen is for Jordan and for our family. Is it enemas? Is it adjusting his medication? I think it's just a lot of trying to figure that out. But as far as what they think in the future, my surgeon said that he thinks that he's going to be great as far as continence. 
he thinks that he's going to do great. He said his muscles are great. His sphincter muscles are great. He said, I, I just think he's going to do amazing. But in the meantime, it's finding the right process for Jordan. But I do know we've had mo- more issues than most kids have. And yeah. it's hard to understand unless you're there and you see it, you know, like what us moms go through. My mom, I, I talk to my mom five times a day. And until I went on vacation with her over the summer for a week, she told me, I, I, I had no idea what you deal with because Jordan vomits from the enemas, from the glycerin. There's so much that goes into it. How do you go dealing with friends who see all the issues you're dealing with, Jordan? Do you, have you been able to explain it in a way that people understand? Or do you think that when people listen to this podcast, they'll be blown away a bit. I think they'll be blown away. Yes. I think that just explaining that he had no opening makes it sound too simple. It, it just doesn't really. That's a great analogy. Really, yeah. It doesn't, it just doesn't sound like that big of a deal. And it's hard to explain everything. In fact, when the baby was born, like I, we didn't really tell anybody because it's not something you can just explain to people in a couple sentences. It's really complex and hard to explain. And of course, it's a private area of your body. So it's a, it's a little embarrassing, I guess, but I don't want it to be. I think that with secrets come shame and I don't want it to be a secret. Yeah, like I want to normalize. Is it? I want to be an advocate for for this. That's wonderful. We've spoken a lot about what you've been through. Have you seeked assistance through a mental health specialist yourself to help you through things? Yes, I have two therapists. <laughs> I and I did it almost like a couple months after I had Jordan. Yeah, yeah, and the Facebook group. Obviously, I met one of the girls. She lives near me. So we talked on the phone. I think there's something different about like actually speaking to someone on the phone, you know, and it's been nice like to have that support. I talked to another who was in um, her baby was in the hospital for like over a month because when you're in the hospital for that long, you, you really like I suffered when I came home, like you're in this little room constantly every day, all day, like it, it like changes you. You don't know, like, how to go back to, like, normal life. So would you encourage other parents who have gone through this to seek that assistance? Yes, definitely. Because I think us moms focus on our kids. That's what we do, right? But we have to be mentally right to care for them. Yeah. Now, you sent me a lovely little video the other day where Jordan was screaming and all that, but... You started to rub his belly and and it was just amazing how just talking to him and rubbing his belly, just changing from sc- screaming, just laughing. Just tell yeah. us how you've come up with that little process. Yeah. So I don't know how I came up with it, but I get distraught when I'm changing his diaper and he's screaming. And then I started thinking like, if I look scared, right. And my face is scared. Like it's going to scare him, you know, like I need to be calm so that he like calms down. So I don't know where it came from, but I start like rubbing my hands together and then he just started mimicking me. Like the first time I did it and then I was pretending to take all of his belly pain. I put my hands on his belly and I pretend to take all his belly pain. And then we say, throw it away. 
get out of here, belly pain. And he just loves it. And he rubs his hands and then he puts his hands on his belly. And then he does the motion, like get out of here, belly pain. And he can't talk that well yet, but you could hear him try to like say it. And he loves it. He just laughs. He just thinks it's like the funniest thing ever. And it's just distracts him. Oh yeah. Nah, it's wonderful. Thank you. So Monica, if you were looking back now to the day Jordan was born and fast forward 18 months and for a for a parent who's dealing with a child born in IA now what would be your greatest advice to them I heard this advice and I didn't take it for myself I would say to just enjoy the baby and it's so hard to do because it's scary and it's new and you want to research it and you want to look things up and I lived in fear for, you know, for eight months. And I wish more than anything that I could go back and just enjoy him as a baby, not as a baby with, you know, a rare medical condition. Yeah. I always say to parents, just live in the moment because yeah. it's, it's our, our condition so consistently inconsistent, I call it. Whereas you, from one day to the next, you just don't worry about what's happening tomorrow, just what's worrying about happened today. Yes. And I've gotten to that place now. I meditate. I do a lot of self-care. But I believe that Jordan was born for a reason. I believe Jordan was born to open my eyes to things. I look at the world differently. I think differently. I feel differently. I look at it as a blessing. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So, Monica, I can't thank you enough for being so open and honest and sharing your journey with Jordan and with us and your family, because it's, as anyone who would be listening to this podcast will know, I'm sure it's going to impact a lot of people. And Jordan's very fortunate to have a wonderful mother like you to have followed your instincts in so many ways and and caring for him the way you have. So it's been wonderful having you on the podcast, Monica. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure.